Hi everyone, Chris here from the Geology Podcast Network. Can you imagine that rather being awakened by the sound of your alarm, you wake up to the sounds of the hillside in your backyard crushing into the back of your house? This is more common than you'd think along the Wasatch Mountains of Utah. And today we're going to dive into the backyard landslides of an active fault zone. Have you ever stared out the window and wondered what interesting secrets lay just beneath the surface? Don't let the Kentucky bluegrass and your mother's geraniums fool you. There is exciting geology even in your backyard. In this podcast, we explore the amazing discoveries and geologic events that happened right in someone's backyard. In this episode, we return to my hometown situated along the Wasatch Fault of Utah. The Great Basin of the western United States is bounded by the Sierra Nevada Mountains in the west and the Wasatch Mountains in the east. Tectonic forces stretched the crust until it faulted and sagged into a series of fault-bounded basins and mountain ranges, hence we often refer to this as the Basin and Range. The Wasatch Mountains formed as a major fault system developed, causing the valleys to drop, leaving behind a large fault scarp. The releasing of stress along this fault zone also caused the scarp to rebound, forming a chain of 3,500 meter high mountains stretching from Idaho all the way to Arizona, over 600 kilometers in length. One summer, I worked for a geologic consulting company doing a seismic survey in a newly planned neighborhood near an active strand of the Wasatch Fault. The goal of this survey was to use induced seismicity to image the subsurface looking for potential hazards in the area. We laid out long lengths of cables with what looked like fancy tent stakes about every three meters. The fancy tent stakes were called geophones, and when pushed into the ground, they acted as underground microphones to pick up any seismic noise. Once the length of geophones were staked into the ground, we'd bring in the Vibe truck to make mini earthquakes. Hey everybody, my name is Vibe, and I'm gonna shake things up. The Vibe truck looked like a road grader, but instead of having a road smoothing blade in between the tires, it had a nearly 1.5 meter wide steel plate that we would lower to the ground and then initiate the Vibe. The pneumatic actuators would then vibrate at a steady pulse, sending seismic waves into the ground. As the seismic waves traveled into the ground, any differences in the soil and rocks would act as a reflector and would then bounce some of those seismic waves back to the surface. The geophones would then record the timing of these return signals. By vibing the ground at each station, we were able to get a high-resolution picture of the subsurface. Although we could see the Wasatch Fault from where we were working, our goal was not to identify faults, but rather to see if there were any landslide glide planes. The entire area where this new development was to be built was composed of ancient volcanic material that had been heavily altered by hydrothermal activity. These ancient volcanic slopes were incredibly unstable, and landslides were very common throughout the area. From the work that geotech companies did in the area, over five square kilometers of landslides were found within the boundaries of the development, and only approximately half 
of the originally planned neighborhoods were not sitting directly on landslide material. Despite geologists' warnings, the developments continued. Not surprising, construction was plagued with setbacks and problems as newly paved roads crumbled, utility lines failed, and basement foundations cracked. Just as people were moving into the first houses, the lawsuits had already begun. The Geologic Hazards Program manager for the state later said, a lot of our easily developed land is now developed, so our risk is increasing as we are building into riskier areas. All of this contention led the city to hire another geotech company from outside of Utah to do an independent survey of the development. Sure enough, this company found significant issues with the planned development and recommended that the city provide warning disclosures to all of the residents and obtaining insurance for all of the residents within that development. Upon seeing this report, the developer threatened to sue the city at the tune of $500 million if they made the report public. The developer claimed they had spent over $1.5 million on their own geological surveys, but the city council was dismayed that whenever they hired studies to be done concurrently, they always came to different opinions. At the time, the developer had made over $130 million in sales from only 720 homes. With the potential of selling an additional 3,000 units to be sold between $200,000 and $2 million, and with an average of $600,000 per development or per house, that's in the ballpark of $2 billion of money that was to be made within this development. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Since 2001, when the development started, there haven't been any major landslides. But Professor Kathleen Nickel from the University of Utah has estimated that risk properties tally up to over $500 million based upon 2007 property values. So then considering changes in housing prices in Utah since 2007, I'd estimate that the risk is nearly $800 million today. Professor Nickel is a world-renowned geomorphologist. And for you Facebook aficionados, she is affectionately known as Professor K and is the founder of the Geomorphology Rules Facebook group. She noted that more than 70% of the people casually surveyed in northern Utah think that Utah laws in regard to landslides is adequate to protect them from harm. But what's fascinating is that real estate law in Utah does not require the disclosure of natural hazard events like former landslides and floods. The buyers must instead shoulder all that responsibility of assessing the potential vulnerability of an area for hazards. Professor Kay also states that although geologic maps and reports are available for all of these regions in Utah, the potential buyers are not likely to refer to them in the process of their decision-making. Professor Kay also states that although geologic maps and reports are available for these regions of Utah, most potential buyers are not likely to refer to them in the processes of their decision-making, and that current zoning is likely inadequate to avoid hazards in landslide-prone areas of the Traverse Mountains. 
When visiting family, I drove through these neighborhoods back in 2018, and it was amazing to see areas where the toes of landslides, like the very front of the landslides, had been bulldozed and leveled to make way for roads that now the roads exhibit huge cracks and evidence of sagging. And then at the top of these landslides, they were all bulldozed and there were lines of million dollar homes. Unfortunately, it looks like these neighborhoods are disasters just waiting to happen. In other neighborhoods, it's not landslides of weathered volcanic material that is the hazard, but instead is actually landsliding along the Wasatch Fault itself. In the area above a popular water park in Provo are beautiful exposures of the Wasatch Fault scarp. Initially, the scarp was covered with regolith and soil, but as the houses were being constructed right below the fault, bulldozers uncovered pristine exposures of the limestone scarp. If you follow the fault not too far to the north, you'll see a neighborhood that has been affected by a large landslide back in 1998, where watered saturated soil slid off of over-steepened hillsides. Over a dozen landslides affected the Wasatch Front that year. For several years prior to 1998, precipitation along the Wasatch Mountains was nearly 120% higher than normal. Adding to the steep mountain front controlled by the Wasatch Fault was the relatively weak shale unit that often sat in the hanging wall right above the fault, and the majority of the landslides occurred on the steep hillsides that were modified by the urban construction along the mountain front. So when you take heavily modified hillsides underlain with weak shale and you add a whole bunch of water, you're bound to get a lot of landslides. It is estimated that the direct and indirect losses from the 1998 landslides exceeded over $1.5 million when adjusted for inflation. Since the 1998 event, over 25 landslides and debris flow events have resulted in the loss of homes along the Wasatch Front. Most of these events broadly correlate with times of heavy precipitation. When landslides happen, they usually take over a period of hours to days to even weeks of slow-moving earth. One landslide along the Wasatch Front started at around 6 in the morning, right in someone's backyard, but then within two hours, the house was totally destroyed as it was shunted off its foundations. Communities along the Wasatch Front continue to grow at an alarming pace. In early 2020, Wasatch County was listed as the third fastest growing county in the United States over the past decade. The Provo-Orem metro area, which is the second largest metro area in Utah, was listed as the ninth fastest growing metro area in the entire country, with 23% growth over the past 10 years. It is projected that both the Orem-Provo and Salt Lake City metro areas will each have a population of over 1.6 million people by 2065. This population boom is causing two things to happen. First is the huge expansion of multifamily dwellings, that is, multi-story apartment buildings. In fact, there are huge sectors of cities that 20 years ago used to just be an old steel mill, are now nothing but multi-story tenement buildings. Second 
is the expansion of cities along the mountain front. Areas that were previously deemed too difficult and too hazardous to build on are now being inhabited. In fact, geotechnical engineering companies have been flooded with requests for surveys and assessments, not only for these new subdivisions, but also for the utilities that are required to facilitate this rapid growth. Progress and expansion always requires a challenging balance between meeting the needs of the people, but doing so in a responsible and reasonable way so as to manage the risk related to expansion into potentially hazardous areas. So lastly, no discussion about landslides in Utah would be complete without mentioning the Thistle Landslide of 1983. Thistle was a small community founded in 1878 that was built to service trains for the Rio Grande Railroad before they made the final push over the Wasatch Mountains en route to Salt Lake City. So prior to 1983, maintenance crews in Thistle began noticing unstable ground and minor movement, but did not fully investigate the problem. It's probably no surprise that the landslide in 1983 was triggered by an abnormally wet autumn as the remnants of Hurricane Olivia hit Utah with record-breaking precipitation. Add to this the higher-than-normal winter snowfall and a quick spring thaw, and you have a recipe for mass movement. By April, the railway and highway had experienced significant deformation, and both were subsequently closed as the situation continued to get worse. The landslide eventually covered the railway and began damming the river. As the town of Thistle lay directly upstream from the slide, the risk of flooding forced the evacuation of the town. All attempts to prevent the slide from damming the river completely failed, and within a day, not only was the river completely dammed, but the water had risen to the rooftops of the houses in Thistle. By the next day, the landslide had buried the highway opposite the river with 15 meters or 50 feet of soil and rock. Most of the homes in Thistle were completely washed away by the flood. Although if you go there today, you can still see the remnants of a few brick buildings, including an old schoolhouse. The railroad and highway were eventually rerouted through a newly blasted cut with rail traffic starting after about three months and highway traffic not starting for over eight months. The economic toll ended up amounting to over a billion dollars when adjusted for inflation. To this day, the Thistle landslide remains the most costly landslide in U.S. history. If you're driving up what's called Spanish Fork Canyon in central Utah, you can still see the Thistle slide today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, students, and professors. Backyard Geology is a part of the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Hey there, fellow geoscience aficionado. If you are enjoying this podcast, I am sure you will also like the new GPN podcast, Nice Chats, with me, Dr. B. Every week, me and a guest will chat about an interesting theme in geosciences in a fun and casual environment. The good news is that you don't need any previous knowledge to understand what we will be talking about, since we will take care of explaining everything to you, while playing games, answering questions, and cracking up many, many dad jokes. 
Fieldwork, Earth evolution, exoplanets and paleomagnetism are only a few of our many different themes this season. Catch us from the 7th of January 2021, wherever you listen to this podcast. And just remember that plateaus are the highest form of flattery. <laughs>